and he was like, I'm not too sure if she understands this or if she understands any language, and I'm not too sure if she'll ever be able to speak again. Today's guest on Above Mediocre is Christian Traverse. She is a registered nurse and certified respiratory educator and chronic disease educator. At 31, she suffered a stroke and was told she was probably never going to speak again. She had to relearn how to speak, read, and write. Hear her story now. Today's episode is brought to you by Ellie's Little Bows. Uh, they have some of the cutest top knots and bows, honestly, that you can find, uh, not only for your tiny human, but for yourself. We absolutely love them, use them all the time. Uh, big fan of the scrunchies in this household. So be sure to check it out. Uh, the cutest hedgehog uh, little bows are out. So check her out at Ellie's Little Bows on Instagram at E-L-L-E-S-L-I-T-T-L-E-B-O-W-S. Uh, so today I have Kristen Traverse on the show. I'm super excited to chat with her. She is from Lloyd Minster, um, which is where we were for quite some time. So uh, we just kind of connected through social media, which is super, super cool. Uh, we don't actually know each other from Lloyd, uh, even though it's a small town, which is cool. So uh, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So Kristen's going to, we're just going to talk a little bit, I guess, about your story. That's usually how we kind of start everything off on the show, just so people kind of get to know you and get to know why you're here. Awesome. Um, there's, it's a, a interesting story, I guess, for other people that, that didn't experience it. I'm always like, why do people want to hear my story? But um, so I'm a nurse. Um, I have two wonderful boys and um, live on an acreage and life was going according to plan. Um, you know, going, I, I had a, at the time in 2015, I'll go back there, I guess. And in 2015, I had a four-year-old and a, and a one-year-old and I was just returning um, from my maternity leave and going back to my typical hemodialysis job. Um, and then yeah, I was part-time and, and I was excited to go back, but like really worried about the kids and that kind of stuff and typical mom stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was about five o'clock in the morning. And on March 30th, 2015, um, I got up and was supposed to go to work and was driving on the highway. Um, I live about 15 minutes outside of, of where I work. And uh, all of a sudden like this wave of confusion washed over me and I just remember thinking that I couldn't drive anymore. I couldn't remember how to drive. And I remember looking at the speedometer and it started out as like 120, um, which is typical on the highway. And then all of a sudden it crept up and crept up and crept up and crept up. And before I knew it, I was going like 190 kilometers an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking like, slow down, like ease your foot off the gas pedal but I couldn't do that. Um, And then I kind of came aware and and tried to slow down, but I still was very like erratic and, and I just could not control my feet. I could not control my hands. Um, And I, the next logical step, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and set a cruise control. That didn't work. Um, And then luckily I don't know who was watching me, but um, I sped into Lloyd and sped through multiple stop signs and multiple um, stop lights and ended up at the hospital. And I don't know how I stopped. I don't know where, I don't remember where I turned. I don't remember anything, Um, but I parked halfway on the curb and my door was running, my vehicle was running. And then in my disillusioned brain, I 
tried to go to work. And, um, and so I went into the hospital and, you know, the, the doors are automatic. Like you don't really have to do anything. Right. So you walk in the hospital and then it was a coworker that said, hi. And I couldn't get my words out. I couldn't say hi. I couldn't do anything. Um, but again, in my disillusioned brain and like nurses don't call in sick. So we, <laughs> we just, <laughs> and so I went to my unit um, and I really don't remember how I got there or how I functioned to get there. And, and um, again, a coworker said hello. And then I realized I could not speak at all. As much as I tried to get my words out, couldn't speak. Um, so it was my, my coworker and my manager that was like, something's wrong. And then, you know, the woman in me or the nurse in me, I don't know. But um, I was like, no, it's fine. In my head, I was like, no, don't cause a fuss. Like it's, everything's going to pass. It's going to be great. It's no, no big deal, I, I think. Um, but then as soon as I tried to talk and as soon as I tried to do anything, I couldn't do that. Um, so eventually they kind of forced me to go to Emerge and um, I got triaged really quickly. And, and then um, I was having a stroke, um, but the doctor and the nurses, I think, knew, like they were really worried. Of course, that's, you know, you always look at fast um, I'm a nurse, so I, I know the signs. Mm-hmm. So fact, your face is drooping, your arms, one side is weak. Um, you can't talk, um, like speech is impaired. And then you have to go to the, go to emerge as quickly as you can and call 911 or whatever. And luckily I was in the hospital, but, um, but I was having a stroke and then the doctor didn't recognize it and thought I was having a migraine. And so, yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like, I was 31 at the time, um, marathon runner. I ran like 13 kilometers the day before I had the stroke. Um, Very healthy. I'm a vegetarian, um, never smoked. Like I'm the epitome of health at that stage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I I don't think that, and I, I mean, we've, advanced to in, in how we care for strokes and how we recognize strokes, um, even in the last five years. But I, at that stage, he didn't think I was having a stroke and I didn't have a facial droop. I didn't have, um, hemiparesis. I just couldn't talk. So I sat and emerged for quite some time. And then it was the nurses and my family um, members that really advocated for me to get a CT get to, you know, the comprehensive stroke center or something, just recognize that there was something wrong. And eventually, um, it was my sister, actually, my sister's also a nurse. She came in and she asked, well, she, she kind of recognized that I was just smiling at everything. And when people came to me, I was just smiling and, and answering as much as I could. I couldn't speak, but, you know, I was trying to nod and, and make sure that everyone else was really comfortable yeah. Um, but then she asked me a question and she asked, um, yes and no in a box and yes and no over boxes or whatever. And she's like, just check if it's yes or if it's no. And then she put a, a pen in front of me and I realized I didn't really know what the pen was for. Um, those yes and no words meant nothing to me. Like I had no idea what those little figures were on the paper um, so then it was like, okay, like something seriously wrong and, and I, couldn't I couldn't write. Um, and obviously I couldn't speak. So 
I eventually got transferred to the U of A Comprehensive Stroke Center and they gave me an MRI and, and they, I still remember a whole bunch of neurologists um, standing around me and, and saying, you, you suffered a major stroke. Um, and then leaning over to my family and saying like, she suffered a, a stroke in the, the part of her brain called the Broca's area that is responsible for, for speech and communication. And you, and she's, and he was like, I'm not too sure if she understands this or if she understands any language. And I'm not too sure if she'll ever be able to speak again. Wow. It was like, I understood everything. And it was such a eye opening <laughs> experience because I mean, I, I understood everything, but no one thought I could understand for wow. quite some time. This was the first three days I couldn't speak at all. That would feel yeah. so like isolated, being around people, but still not being able to commun- communicate at the end of the day, right? But you can still understand and you were still in it. It just, and you'd see yeah, the fear. It's definitely a, like an eye-opening experience as far as I'm, I'm a healthcare provider. So you kind of see how people interact when people don't know you're there. Um, and there was really kind, amazing nurses and, and there was some not so kind, amazing nurses. And, and you kind of have this like, oh man, we need, and it really it's, it's comes down to like people being um, pushed to their limits as far as like they're working constantly, they're understaffed, they're underserviced. There's a lot of, of complications in the healthcare system. So it was like, that was a big eye opener. Um, for me, as far as being a nurse and how I could make a difference when I go back to being a nurse or, or whatever that looks like. Um, but yeah, I, I remember that, um, I just wanted to, to learn from this experience. And I read a quote the day before, um, I had the stroke and I'm not much of a quote person. I guess I am now, but I wasn't much of a quote (laughs) person, but it was, it said, if you, you are only um, repeating what you already know, but if you listen, you may learn something new. And um, yeah, I just kept repeating that in my head and saying like, what can I learn from this? What, what is this trying to show me? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I eventually like recovered quite well because I'm very stubborn and I have great family support and my speech. <laughs> is awesome. Um, but yeah, that's, and then, since then, um, I've kind of, I look at this as like a, a big, huge gift and the stroke has like honestly given me much more than it's taken away because now I can, you know, see that life is finite and see that my boys, um, like I always think of like, what would I say today if I wake up tomorrow and couldn't speak? And so, yeah, I, I, I've definitely learned a lot and advanced a lot and kind of figured out this kind of new identity and seeing like what life has in store for me and, and what um, figuring out that kind of new identity and, and seeing what, what will work for me and my family. That's crazy and awesome at the same time and I like that you said that like the stroke's given you more than it's than it's taken away and I imagine that it's probably been a struggle some days to to feel that (laughs) 
hundred percent. It's not, it's not all yeah, roses for sure. It's lots of trying times, but looking back, like it's definitely kind of set me on a new path and um, yeah, I don't say no to anything. Like I said, I, I've had lots of health issues since. Um, and yeah, I realized that time is finite and life is so precious. And I said no to a lot before. Like, Did you? Yeah, I was so self-conscious and so in my head. Yeah. And now I'm definitely not. Um, I, of course, I'm self-conscious in certain ways and whatever, but I've realized that like there's so many opportunities in life and you just have to grab them and yeah. just work later. That's amazing. And what is it then? What, what have you done? Like, what are you doing now with everything? Where has it taken you when you said like, it's, it's changed a lot. Right. So like, are you still working in the hospital? Are you, what are you doing now? Well, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. I just like, I feel like I'm a teenager kind of figuring out what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, but it's definitely kind of open doors. Like I, I remember going back home and after I got discharged from the hospital and it was like walking into, you know, the same old place, but I was like a completely different person. And it was like the before me and the after me. And at first I, I kind of got, well, I, I was scared. I was scared of um, not being able to speak. Like I had broke as aphasia, which um, it's expressive speech. And I still have it. I still have a little bit of word finding issues, but I've adapted Um, but I remember at that stage being, it was a struggle to talk. It was a struggle to read. It was a struggle. Like I, I couldn't even read children's books. Um, and my, my son was learning at the time, like I had a one-year-old and a three and a half, four-year-old. And at the time my son was kind of learning letters and my other son was learning to talk and it was like learning that with them. Wow. Yeah. It was, it's a surreal experience and and I realized that, um, yeah, like, and I, I, going back, I kind of was scared to go out to pub, into public and talk. And, and um, I think I suffered from the perfectionist disease before. And when I recovered, um, there was no option of being perfect. There just wasn't. Um, I wasn't speaking correctly. I was tired. I was, I was not able to to do things that I was able to do before. Um, and so it was my speech pathologist. She said, you know, you got to get over this. Like your son is going to graduate from preschool. Um, you have to engage in that. Cause that was really important to me. Like I really am a very involved mom and I was terrified of, of going and, and seeing people because I look normal and everyone was expecting me to to be normal but I couldn't speak um and so she actually asked me to go and talk to um talk to the stroke unit and kind of just to for my experience because I'm a I'm a nurse and a healthcare provider and and so I talked and we'll talk with that uh, sorry talk with them and and trying to get over that fear of of being in public and speaking and so I did that. And then people just kept asking me to speak. And so, you know, I thought if I could do that, then I can go to the, you know, play school graduation or hockey rinks or whatever. 
Um, so that's kind of just where it's evolved. And um, so then I, I went back to work and that was a, that was a big process. That was a couple of years of, you know, proving that I can do and can do a lot and, and neuropsych tests and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so I eventually got back to work. And so I went back as a stroke coordinator and um, yeah, that was, that was an amazing experience, but very challenging and very hard. And yeah, yeah, like I would spend like 20 hours at the hospital because I felt the need to help. I, yeah, Yeah. I feel like very blessed for my recovery. Um, And not a lot of other people get that. And so I just, you know, I've educated myself and taken tons of neurology courses and um, acute stroke courses and that kind of stuff to kind of help. But, oh, man, it burned me out. So, yeah, I, I spent a year in that position. And then it was my husband who lets me do anything. He's so amazing, <laughs> such a supportive. Um, but he's like, I don't think this is the right thing for you to do. Yeah. And, yeah, looking back, like I said, like I was spending like 20 hours in the hospital sometimes. If there was a bad stroke or, or thinking about it constantly. So, yeah, I kind of realized that that wasn't a great fit for me. And then I realized what, like, I was suffering from compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma and and my own trauma to see Mm -hmm. a a lot of people coming in with strokes and and kind of living what happened to me. Um, So I took my vicarious trauma and... um, compassion fatigue training. So, so now I kind of can help healthcare providers and help um, nurses to not feel overwhelmed and, and do good at their job. Cause everyone wants to do great at their job. Yeah. That's um, can you explain what the, um, like what they both are just so everybody kind of gets a good understanding of like what you're talking about with nurses and how you're helping everybody. Well, yeah, so I realized there was some some times in the hospital that were not so nice. I mean, I was, I stayed in the hospital quite a long time. Usually it's an acute phase and then you transfer into rehab and whatever, but um, I stayed for quite some time and, and, you know, there's three beds pushed together in one room. Um, Nurses were tired. Doctors were tired. Um... I saw a lot of, a lot of, um, not like there was some great care, but they were just overwhelmed and, and exhausted. And, and I get that cause I've yeah. been there. Um, so you can't give of yourself if you, you don't have that within you anyways. Right. So, um, so yeah, I just kind of figured out that if I, if I can help in any ways, like I, I love nursing. I used to teach nursing, um, I've been a nurse since 2006. Um, so yeah, if, if I can get back to that stage, I can try and help people. And I think that's what the stroke has given me too, is like, I don't do anything that's not meaningful to me or to other people. And that's kind of like, you have to gauge your time and you have to gauge what, what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And then weed out the things that don't work. So like there's certain things that I just don't do anymore in far, as far as my career. 
or as far as, you know, home life, like I'm not a baker. So why am I staying up till three o'clock in the morning, making muffins for the next day? Why, why can't I just go pick them up? Yeah. (laughs) That's a perfect example. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, like there's so many, and I don't have a lot of energy. Like that's just, I had lots of post-stroke fatigue and, and lots of health issues since. And you kind of have to figure out where your time is best spent. And so for me, like helping nurses was a big thing for me because I, I do know what it's like. And I do know what it's like to be a patient and a nurse and and see if we can bridge that gap to, to make them not as overwhelmed and make them like the healthcare system is, is really flawed. And we have to kind of figure it out as we go. Like we, we're all industrious and we're always kind of figuring out um, what the patient needs, what the supplies are, what our staffing is. Um, and so if you, if you have the right tools, then it just becomes easier. Um, so yeah, that's kind of one of the things that I, I did. And then I, I took a whole bunch of other stuff and, and now I, I do a lot of private nursing consulting. So I applied for a private practice. So I do that. And I work within the school divisions, um, doing, uh, training for, for kids with special needs or, or kids with challenges. And, um, and I'm taking an ABM practitioner training. So that's a not banal method. Um, it works with neuroplasticity and neuroscience and, and uh, that's amazing. That's an amazing method. And so, yeah, it's just kind of opened me up to explore more options and explore what I actually want to do with this life because you could wake up tomorrow and you're, you're done. So yeah. what are you going to spend time with doing right now? That's awesome. And do you find that your kids have taken that kind of... I know they're still fairly young, but do you find that they've kind of picked up on that and they kind of live that way in their own little version? Yeah, it's funny how this has impacted my my kids. Um, my husband and I have come so like become so close. He's such a an amazing rock for me. Um, and then my my older son has really really he's really compassionate and kind and looks out for everyone because he saw that, like he, he saw his mom go into the hospital several times. Um, I remember I was supposed to pick him up that day after work, after play school, and I didn't show up. And so he had a lot of separation anxiety when he was little. Yeah. And then, you know, a year later I had seizures and that pretty much the same scenario. I was supposed to pick him up had massive seizures. It was, you know, 36 seizures in 24 hours. And I was back at the U of A and, and he had a a little bit of, you know, separation anxiety and worried that um, mom wasn't going to come home. And my younger son was so little, he he doesn't remember that, but my older son does. And um, he was having a lot of troubles uh, like sleeping or, you know, going to school because he didn't want to leave mom. Um, But then it was, and I couldn't really express, you know, I'm one of those people that really want to help and guide and, and try and express, you know, I, I don't know if I'll be here, but I will always love you. Someone will always look after you. You're always going to be safe. But how do you express that when you have aphasia to a four-year-old or five-year-old at that time? 
And um, so I was really struggling with that. And then he came home from grade one. So this is a couple of years after, well, a year after my stroke and, and I you know, had health issues and back and forth in the hospital. And, and so he came home and he gave me a picture. He's like, mom, look at this. And it was, he drew a picture of me and a picture of him. And he said, feel it. And so I was like, okay, what? So I, I felt it. And um, he drew with white crayon uh, strings that connected us. No. And yeah, and he's like, just feel it. And so I felt it. And he's like, those are the invisible strings. And he's like, so if you are in heaven and I am down in the bottom of the ocean, I can just pull it and you'll feel it. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm very thankful because they they had some mental health capacity building um, workers in in the house or in the school and so I think they talked about that and and so he came home and he got it like he's like okay we're all connected and I will always love you you will always love me even if I'm you know down in the ocean and you're up in this in the heaven you'll pull it and I'll pull it and you'll feel it and and so that was like a big turning point for him he felt comfortable he felt safe um, he didn't have separation anxiety and and then I, that kind of helped me too. So I'm like, okay, now we got it. Now he gets it. And he's still so compassionate and so kind. Um, one of, one of the students from, in, from his class uh, lost their mom at the about same time that I had the stroke. And so he was always, you know, going up to that boy, like, how are you doing? Oh. Do you want to over? Like, he's just a, a nice, kind kid. And I think he would have been like that anyways. But um, he has to think about things that are, are maybe more mature than, than other kids. So, yeah, he's, he's such a good little awesome man. That's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, I like that. That's a really nice way, a nice way to kind of talk to your kids about it so that they know. Well, and I'm a big believer in being honest with my kids too. Like, um, I don't know if I will, you know, live tomorrow, um, especially with these health issues. I couldn't lie to him. Like, I couldn't say, I will always be here. I will, you know, always pick you up from play school. But I could say, like, you know, I love you. You'll always be safe. We'll always look after you. Um, but there's, yeah, there's times where I've, I'm like, should I have told Caleb that, you know, I'm going to the doctors or, or, but at the same time, like he, I'm a big believer that we have to include our kids and we have to um, make sure they feel safe and make sure they feel empowered in the family. That's amazing. And that's an awesome thing to be an advocate of because it does, it gets lost a lot, right? Mm-hmm. We, we decide that our kids are that they can't handle something or they can't do something. And then that something may happen or whatever. And it's, and we can set them up for better success that way. And I think that's really important for people to hear that there, there are ways to have those kind of those conversations. Oh yeah. And I think it'll just benefit, you know, I, I grew up in a house where we didn't really talk about much and yeah, I think I felt that I didn't really matter in the family or my voice didn't matter or whatever, some, you know, typical teenager stuff, but, mm-hmm. but I do want to raise my kids to, to know that they can talk to me and know that I will talk to them. And, and, um, 
just realize that they are important and they're valued. And like I, I say to everyone, like you're important, you're valued, your voice matters. That's awesome. That really, I think that's really important for a lot of people to hear because they're, and it could be, you know, maybe they're separating from their spouse or maybe they have to work away from home or, and they, you know, they don't want to have that like conversation to hear them. And we think it's too complex, but I mean, they soak up every little thing that we're doing anyways. So 100%. (laughs) May as well make sure it's an open dialogue while we're, while we're doing it. I think that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I I think that kids, we don't give kids enough credit. Um, And yeah, I think they've shown me so much and you know what it's, it's, I am definitely a different mom than I, I was before. And it shows in my kids too. Like my older kid is very, like he's anxious and he's very compassionate and, you know, but he does have that, like, I should, I should be doing something or I, you know, I, a little bit of perfectionist quality, I think. Yeah. Um, my younger son, who was one year old, one years old when I had the stroke, I mean, I, I couldn't worry about things. Like I couldn't worry about the clothes that he was putting on. I couldn't like, that's was so irrelevant to me at that stage. Yeah. And so he, such a free spirit like he is the funnest craziest um six-year-old now like he's just fun and he loves himself and he understands that this is me um take me or leave me at this age already so yeah it's definitely been a different experience raising kids at different stages of, of life but it's so true and I love that and I you know we always joke around here we're like our kid will make an incredible adult as long as she can get there first, because she is (laughs) free-willed, hard-headed, incredible spirit. But we do, we find ourselves and we're, you know, we're like, nope, you can't do this or you can do this. Or it's like, it's hard. And you try not to break that in them. Cause I'm like, that's what makes her so unique. So how do we foster Mm -hmm. that versus suppress it? And you don't even realize you're doing things that you were told to do at three or whatever. Right. And you don't realize where it's all coming from, but it's, um, it's, it's really cool that your kids got to be forced or not forced, be raised to kind of have that, that little extra step of freedom. And Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I do feel like if I didn't have the stroke, they would, I would worry about what they wore. I would worry about what they said. I would worry about, um, and that's in no, no relation to them. It's all me. Like I, I do feel like we, we always transfer our dreams and hopes to the children and, and that's not right. Like they are their own little spirit. They're their own little person. We just have to foster that and make sure their environment is safe so they can thrive. Yeah. That's awesome. I completely agree with that. I think it's so important. And I think it's, you know, we have enough constructs within school systems and sports and like, there's enough of that, that that's, you know, said it's creating a safe space for them to be able to develop their own tools to deal with things. hundred percent. Well, and we always talk about the shoulds, um, you know, you get caught in the, I should, I should do this, or I should be this, or I should, um, I think it's like a should disease. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we like the perfectionist quality kind of comes into the should, I should, 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 but you just are who you are and, and whatever happens happens for a reason. Sometimes, sometimes there's no reason at all, but, but you have to kind of realize that why should you do anything mm-hmm. like that? The, the, one of the main things that I want to tell my kids is you are who you are. 
you have to be nice and kind, um, but you shouldn't, there's no shoulds, mm-hmm. will or won't. And, and you, you're not letting me down if, if you don't do a certain thing or whatever, you, you know, you have to make yourself proud and, and figure out your own path. Oh, that's awesome. That's so important. Um, so what would be your, like, what would you consider your one non-negotiable? And it doesn't, it, it could be something you do every day, every week, every month, every hour, just, but what's your one thing? Um, oh, one thing. There's <laughs> things, I think. There's, yeah. After, you know, after the stroke and I had cardiac issues and heart surgery, and like there's a lot of non-negotiables in my life because that's the way I choose to live. Um, that is a good question. So two things, I think, sorry. One thing is, is, um, you can have 10. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. Cause I think I have 10, but I'll just do a few, but I find something to be grateful for every day and learn from every experience. And I do feel like there is so many experiences that we can learn from and we can grow and, and we can, and, be a better version of ourselves. Um, so that's one thing that is non-negotiable that, you know, I find something to be grateful for every day, even though like sometimes are, are, there's very hard times, but, um, and then figure out something to learn from that experience to go you know forward in my life. And then the other non-negotiable thing is I tell my boys every day that I love them, that they're you know, important um, and that they're valued. And so that's the one thing, like, I'm very lucky to have my voice back. Um, so I want to empower others to, you know, to, to speak their truth and, and, you know, whatever that truth is, there, there's a value to that voice. Um, and then my boys, like, I just, I want them to know that I love them. And whatever the last words you're going to say to someone, is it going to be something that you, you are proud of? Um, I always kind of look at, this is morbid, but what are they going to say me, say about me at my funeral? Um, are they going to say that I, you know, work too hard or like that, those kind of material stuff doesn't matter, but I I do want to be known as someone that's kind someone that's a hard worker, someone that, um, my boys can be proud of. So that's my other non-negotiable. Well, those are probably the best ones that we've heard so far. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> Thank you very much. Like, like I said, we're still, we're still learning, but yeah, I, I do. I do want everyone to, to really value that voice that they have because it's, it's hard when it's taken away. Wow. Thank you. I honestly can't thank you enough for taking the time and, Doing, doing this and kind of coming on the show and sharing your story with everybody. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate that. And do you have anything that you like, do you do an Instagram that people can follow to kind of check out what you're up to? Do you, is there anything like that that people can find? Yes, actually, um, speaking of, of voices and empowering other people to tell their, to tell their story, um, me and, and my, my best friend, Jesse Mann, created a, a foundation, I guess, um, it's called My Why uh, Revolution. And so uh, we share stories and, and we share, you know, I'm a, a big advocate of, of health stories, big, a big advocate of, you know, mental health and, and um, 
So we share those, those stories. So you can follow us on our, our Instagram, um, at my why revolution. Um, our website is my why revolution or just me, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> just, just plain old me. That's awesome. And I'll be sure to share all that in the show notes for everybody so they can come, come and check it all out. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm tired today. Ah, well, that's fair. That is very fair. Um, perks of having a seven-month-old as of today. Oh, he is seven months, isn't he? It's today, yep. I'm posting pictures of him soon then. Well, that's good. <laughs> good priorities today, of course. Um, so, my biggest apologies. Last week, I did not put an episode out. Nor did you tell anybody. No. I told you to tell people. And well, and you just ignored me like you usually do. So, um, it it was busy. We were very busy. Your face is already going red, and nobody can see this. That's fine. I don't know if it's out of rage or just embarrassment. Just rub my face. That's all. <laughs> um, no, honestly, we just things got really, really busy, and I wasn't as prepared as I should be. Where I usually have a few of these kind of in my back pocket, so it's a little easier to do. Um, because sometimes life happens. Rescheduling. There's a bunch of rescheduling that you were saying that was going on. Yeah. Stuff like that. And it just didn't work out. So you should apologize profusely to everybody. Well, I did apologize. The the what? 20, how many, how many up to now? 20 something followers and stuff? I don't, I'd have to look. It's been a while since I've looked. So, um, yeah. So anyways, my biggest apologies for not getting one out last week. I just didn't want to put out garbage or just me talking for 40 minutes for no apparent reason. Plus, I so, think we did that the week before. Two weeks before, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter anymore. doesn't matter at all. So, um, but yeah. But today. But today we're going to talk about Kristen. So, uh, Kristen's pretty incredible. Uh, she has an incredible story. Um, unique. It... Um, it's a wild one, that's for sure. I never, you know, five years ago she was she had a stroke while driving to work as a nurse. Yeah. Um, and we know those roads, and there's already not a lot of attention being paid from drivers. No, I mean it so is thank flat goodness and straight. She made it. I'm unbelievable. Um, I I can't uh, I can't even fathom like. I, I don't know. Like it's just it's to me it's crazy. Um, her saying that you know. Go speeding and not being like consciously saying, "Okay, you got to slow this down. You got to yeah. stop," and you can't. You can have no control over your body. I've never heard of anybody having a stroke and being able to do that. I I don't know to keep doing things, to keep yeah. doing things and then going into work after you have it. Yeah, and you, still trying to go to work. You hear that a lot for especially women with heart attacks and stroke that they don't even realize that they've had one because they just keep going. It's freaking nuts. It's because we like. We have to multitask and we oh, just Oh, yeah, going. here we go. Just, ah, okay. That's true. <laughs> I've seen you multitask lately. Yeah. It's not, it's not been great. Well, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> I try. I'm busy. <laughs> but anyways. So, yeah, I don't know. I, it was, um, it was really, really cool. And I'm very, very grateful because she talks about taking, you know, her time and only doing things that she wants to do now and different outlook for sure yes um, so I'm really thankful that she was willing to take the time with me and sit down and have that conversation have that conversation so that was really really cool from for that to happen I really appreciated that and the amount of learning that she's still do, doing forever you know what I mean to make everybody else around her better as well yeah uh, just constant learning um 
when she was saying before too that she would she had to relearn with her kids because of the ages that they were at um i thought that was interesting i wonder how that would how that would be how it would i don't know um just like the feeling of like you're learning with your kids right when you're supposed to not supposed to but you want to teach them yeah so to do that um and then just to keep doing it um, and, and her little ones, um, the fact that her one son made a picture yeah. with strings, like, <laughs> I don't even know what to say that. That's incredible. Like you could, you could just cry Yeah. thinking about that. You know what I mean? And having him do that and having him understand, um, everything at such a young age. What an incredible little man Those he is. tiny humans know more than we ever give them credit for. Exactly. Right. So... They know way more than we are willing to give them credit for. Well, well, I feel like they're a lot smarter than we are. And, you know, it's some things, especially, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's your kids, but. Like when Charlie comes up and she goes, oh, I have a good idea. You've had that freaking idea for a week, child. You've been working just, on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're trying to make it seem, yeah. And she's constantly doing that. And she's constantly thinking and watching. And I've seen her try to trick trick her brother into things already and to kind of get what she wants. It's pretty amazing. It's infuriating, but it's amazing to watch. Yeah. To watch happen at right? the same time. Yeah. So, I don't know, but yeah, the Kristen, holy smokes. Um, you are incredible. You're, right? You're fierce. Um, it, it was, what a story. Um, you could listen to her talk all day and chat and and just the, the stuff that she wants to do in the community and, and everything mm-hmm. else is just incredible. Absolutely. So hats off to you for sure. Um, we can all learn something. Yeah. And you guys should all check out um, her podcast with her friend, um, My Why Generation. Oh, it's yeah, that's right. Generation Revolution? Oh, man. I'm going to have to double check. It'll that's be in the show notes. Brutal. No. <laughs> I think it's Revolution. Anyways, it's fine. They're in the show notes. Check out the show notes. So, um, But yeah, that's that's kind of it. That's all today, I think. I need coffee, so I'm. if you want to chatter on, go ahead. No, nope, it is all good. We'll, uh, we'll say goodbye. I'm out of here. All right. Bye. Bye. Love you, too. Thank you for listening to another episode of Above Mediocre. If you want to follow me in upcoming things, be sure to check me out on Instagram at Margie underscore Richardson. And if you want a little bit more about what High Peak Nutrition does, come and check us out at highpeaknutrition.com. Have a great day. We'll see you soon. Bye.